In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome senior NBA writer for the Action Network, Matt Moore. This conversation was recorded on October 28th, but it contains tons of great insight that still applies to the early part of the season, such as the decrease in scoring, how to bet on the NBA for rookies, and a lot more. So now enjoy this awesome conversation with Matt Moore. He is a senior NBA writer for the Action Network. We welcome Matt Moore onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Matt? Going well. How are y'all? Doing pretty well. Thanks for joining us. And I love chatting with really knowledgeable experts within the sports betting field because <laughs> that's full full blown honesty. Uh, my co-host and I are we're just not a world that we live in, but it's something that you know between myself and Matt, I don't know if he'll agree with me, just with our friends, it's something that we've kind of talked about a little bit more in terms of sports betting among our kind of our friend groups. So um, I know it's gaining a lot of popularity. And the first question I got for you, Matt, is within the last you know couple of years, and I think NBA on TNT is kind of the prime example of this, um, they have incorporated more um, sports betting with their, um, I guess, agreement with FanDuel onto their broadcast. And I just want to get your opinion overall, and not only just the NBA, but just general sports as well, kind of embracing sports betting on their primetime television in terms of their um, sports broadcast. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing it a lot more, right? Since the legalization of sports betting uh, was allowed and states have signed on more and more and more and New York's coming on board and soon after, you know, in a couple of years, we'll see almost all the states up and running. There's so much money to be made. There's so much of an opportunity. The audience is hungry for it. It's been going on anyway. And now a lot of, I think the uh, stigmas around it are, have kind of vanished. And so, especially with being mobile now, that makes it a lot easier to watch the games, have a bet, have something on it um, and then watch the game. And with the NBA is so player focused it makes a lot of sense too, or you, you know, you track in players and you're, you're able to bet props on whether or not a guy will go off one night or not. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The NBA has done things like I'm actually on a bet stream every Friday on league pass where we do a, a game broadcast that's on league pass. That's just from a betting perspective. And we live bet during the game and, and things like that. We've got um, the NBA bet show on NBA TV. You're seeing the league. They know how much money is there and they were ready. I mean, Adam Silver, telegraphed this years before when they knew that this was going to yeah. be happening, that it was going to be legalized. There were already things in motion to be prepared. And so, you know, there's so many different mechanisms the league can get into and, and they're still finding their way in new opportunities and partnerships. It's going to be a, a, a broader and bigger part, I think of the broadcast experience as it goes along. I do think that the league understands this and I would agree that you have to be, it's got to be within parameters right like it's fine to have like a segment or a commercial with chuck doing picks or whatever and it's fine to have ad reads and i think even you can work in some in-game like content here and there but for the most part even sports betters like they want to enjoy the game like they'll sports betters will get that content in the spaces where that that occupies and lives i don't think you want to oversaturate because i think you, you risk turning off the casual viewer that's there to celebrate the sport which at its core is still what makes the nba great so Matt, for a new better, can you kind of give like a short synopsis of what is the best way of kind of dipping their, their feet in the pool in terms of they want to place a bet on a game? Um, would it be best to just focus on who's going to win, covering the spread? What would be kind of the best way of going about it for like a beginner? Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, if you're a beginner, I think a lot of it is one, you should 
download the Action Network app. I got to plug that so you can get the information that you need to learn how to bet. We've got lots of tools on there to, to teach folks if they're interested in getting into it. Um, you know, for me, I just started with spreads, which is just the point differential right between the two teams and the final margin. And if, you know, you like the Spurs like I did, plus seven as they are down as we record this, or they are up 23 to three over the Mavericks, uh, yikes. The, you know, that, that's a pretty good looking looking spot there. But you learn to kind of see like, all right, what's a matchup that you think will, be, will do well? Um, is there an extra motivational factor? Uh, the rest advantages. There's a lot that goes into it. The numbers are hard to beat in the NBA. Now you can bet, the money line more consistently, but you're paying a lot more what's called juice or vig. So if you're, you know, having to bet with a one to four return, it's kind of rough trying to make a, a profit on it unless you're betting huge sums and then your risk liability is big, right? Because the NBA favorites to win are going to be pretty big because most times we see this, right? The good teams are going to win a lot and the bad teams are going to lose a lot. So tonight, you know, the jazz, you had to bet a thousand dollars to win a hundred on the jazz tonight. And that's just not good return, but the spread allows you to kind of work within those parameters. The other option is the totals. You can, if you think it's going to be a high scoring game or you like the defensive matchup or whatever it is, you can go the other way and bet the total, which is combined points over under. Um, there's also the, one of the good things I think about the market now is that there's so many options for for people to bet. You know, you can bet props, you can bet combo props of like points, rebounds, and assists. You can look at you know, quarter bets and half bets. The Knicks have been one of the best uh, first half teams in the league over the past two seasons. You got those types of opportunities. You can do, you know, combos on points and, and money line winners and all sorts of things. So there's a number of opportunities for you to find. I think the biggest thing is be responsible, uh, have a bankroll, and then if you're going to have fun with it, you know, try and find teams that you think are in good spots to win, like the situation is prime for them to be able to cover whatever the spread is if you go that route. Matt, the with the officiating rules that have changed in the offseason, you know, these non-basketball moves, etc. Uh, I read somewhere today that the uh, average points scored per game now is right around like 100 points per game compared to last season being, I believe, in the 110s. You can correct me if, if you know differently. Um, have you noticed any change early on and has Vegas already adjusted for things uh, like these totals uh, seeing these first couple games for each team being officiated uh, I guess allowing more physicality and, and potentially lower scores. Yeah. So we definitely have seen that, you know, you mentioned the points per game. Additionally, offensive rating has been really suppressed. It's one Oh six this year compared to one twelve last year. Um, that's a, a, even though in the beginning of the season, there's usually lower numbers. Um, that's still a pretty wild discrepancy between the two. And it doesn't account like the early season doesn't account for all of that. Additionally, but going into last night's action and last night was another, we record this on a Thursday, Wednesday was a, a heavy unders night as well. Um, going into Wednesday night's action, unders were 32 and 22 for 59%. That's a really good margin. Generally speaking, in sports betting, whenever you have an edge better than 55%, that's profitable. So you're seeing like the unders are hitting consistently, and it's been a case. Now, that may start to go up, and there's always the question of, I tend to think it's more than just the foul rates. We have seen the foul rates truncated, but teams are also just shooting poorly from three. 
some of that's dragged down by some outliers, like the Detroit Pistons are shooting 22% from three. Yikes. Um, but as they get a little <laughs> bit better, hopefully over the course of the season, you know, Kate Cunningham coming back, et cetera, those numbers will probably regulate a little bit. Uh, and the other thing I would say is there's, you have to keep wondering, all right, every year they talk about this area of emphasis and it starts off one way and then by midseason it's gone. I think this one will hold because the reaction has been so positive. Like there's been such a positive reaction to this is the type of basketball that we want to watch. We don't, we want the defense to have a chance versus the offensive players. The offensive players still have control of the game for sure. But instead of it being like 80, 20, it's now like 70, 30 or 65, 35, a little bit more balanced. I think that causes it. I think that most of the models that the books are using to set their lines are still built off of last year's numbers and what they were expecting from that perspective. Plus I'll say one more thing. The return of fans, I genuinely do think is having an impact here. We saw in the bubble, mm just absolutely astronomical shooting percentages. And when you talk to the players about it, they said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Like the depth perception is different. When you have mm. the guys and the people in the stands, you just see the court differently. Like I just see the bucket here in this bubble. And then last season, you would notice actually that the, when teams that did not play in arenas with fans went to arenas that were full, their field goal percentage would decrease. And I think we're seeing that mm. early in the season is like, Crowds are back. And so I think that's affecting, you know, whether it's just the depth perception, but also just the presence of, of actually loud fans. I think that has kind of regulated this. I, it's going to probably, it, it, I will tell you, it will even out. The books will sharpen as the season goes along. Those numbers will get tighter, um, but there'll probably be some opportunities from some overs after the overcorrection occurs, but it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, uh, you're just going to have these nights where I think a lot of the teams where they've underperformed are going to start performing the expectation. Yeah, fascinating stuff uh, with that depth perception and, and how that's changed so much for players. I, I wanted to ask you also, uh, just historically right now, I mean, the different officiating aside from the start of this season, you know, I, I was hearing um, growing up watching basketball that it was kind of uh, a fool's errand to bet on basketball. You know, like if if you were picking a major sport to bet on, basketball is like the most volatile choice. Um with the inclusion of the of the modern three-point era now, has that volatility increased? I mean, you mentioned some great tips for uh, for betters, like beginning betters earlier on. Um, do you find it's it's any different, any more or less volatile than maybe uh, when you started getting into betting? It's still volatile. I think it's I think it's honestly more volatile, I'll say that, because you mentioned the shooting variance. Like that's the thing is if you just have a night where a team that doesn't shoot the three well shoots three well, then your cap is just non-existent. Your handicap on that game just doesn't matter. Like you can have, mm. I do this a lot because I dive into the X's and O's. Like I care about switch coverages and defensive, like how do you guard the pick and roll and points off of turnovers and like what you should shoot is what you actually do and all these type of factors. But then like in an individual game, I, I mean, tonight's a good example of this. Again, recording on a Thursday. Uh, my best play of the night was the under in Hawks Wizards. That's going to sail over. Both teams are on a on a back to back. Both teams are on a three and four nights, which is you know they're both tired. Usually that leads to tired legs on jumpers. Um, mm. The Wizards have been a top ten defense in half court. The Hawks have been a top ten defense in half court, and this one's going to absolutely cruise to the over. And that just goes to show you, like this is how it goes, like. Bradley Beal hadn't shot well to start the season, shot well tonight. KCP hadn't shot well, shot well tonight. 
And that's just kind of mm-hmm. how it goes. That shooting variance is more prevalent in NBA and it affects it more than almost any other sport. So yeah, the swings are wild, which I think is why like I tend to take a broader view in terms of trying to bet, you know, multiple angles, not overload on one game or one spot, because I just don't think like the game is ever consistent or predictable enough to do that, but you can bet across and you can still be profitable. Um, you know, especially if you're able to find edges in terms of where the totals are, what the market is, because t- the market will overestimate teams. It simply will. I mean, a good example of this is the Lakers. They've been an over team in an under market this year uh, because the expectations from the bookmakers, again, based off of previous seasons, was that the Lakers would be a good defensive team, but they've struggled. And I think over the course of the season, they'll probably correct. I think Frank Vogel will get them lined up and and get them more acclimated, acclimated to the scheme. But as of right now, like, they're having a lot of trouble getting unders. And so now that's a spot where you can look for certain opportunities. Um, There are no hard and fast rules. Otherwise it'd be easy to do it. NBA is a hard, hard, hard league to cap, but it's also um, I think a a lot of fun because there's so much to dive into and to try and decipher. If you look at sports betting is kind of like a puzzle. Matt, I want to ask you what you mentioned earlier about the the changes in offensive efficiency with the bubble and with the lack of fans. Was there anything that you saw during that era that maybe can cross over to the basketball we're seeing now from a maybe presentation perspective? Just in terms, you mentioned just the depth perception of players. Is there something else that you might see from that era crossing over to what we're seeing now to maybe increase offensive efficiency in terms of the way the game's presented? Or do you think that the way that the game is currently constructed now with the fans being courtside, um, it should remain as is? I mean, I think... I would say I think that there's probably look if the if the owners ever went for it spoiler alert they won't um I think there is probably value to getting rid of fans courtside especially behind the basket when the guys in the bubble had more of a runway they were able to go at the rim harder and now you're still you're back to trying to finish a move land avoid a camera not run into you know, the 70 year old grandma sitting behind the baseline with her popcorn. Like you don't don't want to kill anybody. Um, I think that there's value for the product in terms of making it more of, um, I'm not even sure what the word would be, but more, uh, more contained. I think that's a cool visual as well. You know, when you've got, I mean, think about how popular like the Lakers view is right with those, with the lighting that they do at Staples, those kind of things. I think when it feels more like this isolated kind of entry, it's better, but ultimately like, the money like they just are never going to give up courtside seats they're never going to get rid of the baseline to to limit capacity it's the same kind of reason why the league would be a lot better off if we reduced the schedule it would just objectively and and i say this not only as a fan of the game and i used to be all about 82 i I love that there were so many games and now i've I've come around the other way but i also say this as somebody from a sports betting perspective if there was a lot more uh predictability and reliability in terms of guys availability every night because there was more time between games you would have a much better product and a better product to bet on um the sixers are the best example of this now they're an outlier but like literally i've told people don't ever bet on the sixers games ever don't (laughs) bet either side don't bet them at all because joel and b can be totally good to go in the morning and out by the time that the starting lineup is is in he can be not likely to play when the coach talks and then suddenly tipping off. Like it's just completely inconsistent. And the NBA's worked to try and adjust those rules and get them more consistent. But if you're a better, you need all the information, like you deserve all the information in front of you. And that's something the NBA is still battling is trying to get betters into a situation where they know 
what to expect and who to expect to play because that's what you have in the other sports and not having that can when and ironically in the sport that's most player driven like a single player has the most impact on the floor especially in the nba um that creates a whole lot of chaos and that's not something that, that people want to enter into with their money you bring up an excellent point, Matt, which I didn't think about, which was the, you know, the information that coaches give to the fans and media before a game happens. And it, what, crept, what crept into my mind was Ben Simmons was listening to a recent podcast in terms of um, it was before the game seven. I think it was before the postseason in terms of he, he struggled for three games and there was just some family allegations that came out and now is blamed on illness. And so I'm wondering from your perspective as a better, if a player has something that's off the court, that's mentally affecting them compared to something that's physically affecting them. Cause we've seen players overcome, you know, physical element. Does that affect how you bet on a game in determining, okay, this player has something physical wrong with them or something that's mentally affecting them off the court. Is, this, is that a factor in terms of how you bet? Not me. I try and stay out of that kind of stuff. One of the reasons I try and avoid um, off-court things of that nature is I don't think it's fair to the one. I just don't think it's fair to the player, but it's also like objectively, if you're just looking at it from a profit standpoint, you're making assumptions that I think are not foundational if you cover the league the way that I have. So like I haven't always been betting focused. I was like, I've done reporting. I do features. I do these type of things. Like, you get to know players and some players, you know, they hit that wall of adversity and that's it for them. And others of them, like they care about it so much, they break through and can have huge moments. And I think counting them out based off of that thing is, is dangerous. And I see a lot of betters doing this, doing this in various capacities. Like you'll hear a lot of this about like, well, I think he's got the yips and I don't think he's, you know, mentally ready for this challenge or whatever. And I, my, my thing there is I'm just like, you don't know. No <laughs> one knows because like in particular, you're getting your information from watching them on television and what you read or watch in media interactions. And what I always try and say is like, that's a shade of the person that they're giving us. Like nobody is, you can't be you with media. It's impossible because you're aware of that relationship right, right outside, right in the box. Like as soon as that happens, it's automatically impacted. If you're, and there's guys that are more honest when they're one-on-one -on -one and guys that are less honest when they're one-on-one. -on -one. And so if they're, if they're going through something like that now, Look, I'll say this, like it affects, it's part of a broader conversation. Like here's a good example of an off-court thing rather than, than Simmons, which who knows, right? Um, <laughs> a lot, lot of, lot of, lot of context in that one. Um, here's yeah, a lesson, yeah. right? So Nikola Jokic started this year, again, like absolutely on fire. It's like shooting 78% from the field, 28 points per game. He looks like a pretty good MVP, Baz. I'm going to put in a bet for him on, on MVP tonight. Um, actually, after we're done here, um, as part of, I have a huge MVP position on like multiple players. He's going to be one of the guys that I'm going to bet on and then add to it. If he keeps this up, however, like here's an off court thing. So Jokic just had a baby. Well, his wife just had a baby. He, he didn't, he was there. He stood in the room. And so <laughs> if you're a dad, do you know that that first year of the first kid is fraught? It is you're up all night. You're doing the midnight feedings. Your wife is constantly exhausted. The kid cries whenever. And the whole, like the adage is when the baby sleeps, you sleep. Well, Joker told us a few years ago that he doesn't nap on game days. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. You, you don't nap at all. He's like, no, I don't need to. And I was like, but like every NBA player naps. He's like, I don't, I don't need to. So now I'm in this mm. position of being like, okay, what's going to happen when Joker's got a, a, a three month old 
that's crying in the middle of the night and he's not napping on game days. Mm. Like, is that going to wind up dragging down his efficiency? I'm not betting it, but it's something that like I have in the back of my mind to kind of watch. If you see Jokic start to dip and he looks tired and exhausted, that's probably where I'm going to go. But you've also, you can never tell with, you know, where guys are at. There's always things going on behind the scenes. Uh, Tyson Chandler. I once asked Tyson Chandler, what's the number one thing that you wish the media covered and player, how you wish the, the media covered players differently. And he was like, I wish that there was more of an emphasis on how we're people and that not everything is about the on-court stuff. If a guy looks like he's distracted and upset, it's not because he's not getting shots or minutes. He may have something going on in his life, and that's mm. not going to stop once he steps on the floor. Um, so I think that you have to be cognizant of those things. You should always incorporate as much information as you can whenever you're betting. It's just a smarter, better thing to do. But you also need to not go so far to think that you have an edge in understanding human beings that you literally don't know anything about. Well, then also, couldn't I say that likely, I mean, the people setting the lines are are very smart. I mean, they, they always say the house always wins, you know. Um, couldn't we also say that the people setting the lines are also accounting for these stories coming out and how that's going to affect public opinion? I think it's more a matter of the book doesn't have to because the market will take care of it for them. And what I mean by that is um, if there's, a, you know, let's say that there was a report that a player, like, a player was struggling after a game and just could not, you know, was really, really upset with his performance. And the conversation was about the yips. Okay. So the betting market, casual betters, the public is going to come in against them, right? Like I'm not betting on that guy. Like that guy's got the yips. He's done. Well, so the market's going to move it in the other direction. Now the sharp betters will probably come back the other way, right? Cause they'll see this is probably not accurate. So mm. I'm going to bet the other way. And the money, it may offset that. And then the market will move either back in the original direction or it will stay depending on the percentages. Like this is the advantage the market always has. They set a number and then the public and sharp betters, big money betters are going to pull it one way or the other. And their job is to determine how much to overreact to those moves. And they're very, very, very good at that. And so, you know, if anything, I think in those situations, the house typically has an advantage because they have the advantage of knowing um, if the smartest people in the room at, at betting are going to be supporting that position or fading it. If everybody's coming in on one side, they can adjust their number to account for it um, instead of having to get that work done ahead of time. Mm, great answer. Um, Matt, I, I wanted to go back to something that you alluded to earlier with like player availability and how that can confound things with placing bets. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that you see changing league-wide, like any load management policies or things like that, uh, or, or beyond, anything that could change league-wide once betting does become legal in, in all 50 states. How do you think that will um, impact the league potentially. So in, I report on of maybe like how the regular season operates. So I reported on this a few years ago, um, back before the pandemic, you know, back in the before four, four times, um, 200 years ago, <laughs> um, I reported that. So it used to be that you had to file your starting lineup sheet 10 minutes before tip off. And so some coaches would literally have it out like 30, like uh, two minutes before. And it was a real problem, right? <laughs> you need to know, like, you need to at least have a window where people are able to say so-and-so is starting, so-and-so is not. The coaches, well, I thought this was interesting. The coaches actually wanted to move it back to 45 minutes because mm -hmm. they were annoyed at certain coaches that tend to take too long 
and make it a whole mental mind game. And it's not that it really <laughs> catches them off guard because it's like, all right, I'm, I'm prepared for him to start or not. It's just game 35. Um, you know, and some, <laughs> some coaches would do that. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name Rick Carlisle's name, but like some coaches <laughs> would do that and it would bother them. So the coaches were in favor of moving it back to 45 minutes before. Um, the league, for whatever reason, went to 30 minutes and the coaches association is still kind of like, we'd rather kind of like to move back. Um, that's, I think is a good start. I think one of the other things is just, this, this is a difficult one is there just needs to be a, a, a broader acceptance of these rest times built in. Like the first thing the league's going to do nationally televised game, do not have it on back to back. Like that's just, I, I, I understand that the schedule is very complicated and that there's 30 different or 28 arenas and you have to balance this, that, and the other. I get it. I really do. Doesn't matter. You got to solve this problem. That's your, like, you have all the money, make this work. Because in particular, like teams, you'll notice this. Teams don't hide guys when they're facing the Orlando Magic. They don't rest guys then. They rest them because that's a higher percentage win probability. You don't reduce what's a likely win. You reduce the coin flip games. If you're the Bucks and Giannis is not feeling great and it's like, oh, he probably, it's not a playoff game, doesn't really need it and they're playing on a back-to-back versus Brooklyn, why give Brooklyn another look? Why, you know, why, why go there when that's a coin flip versus, okay, he probably needs a rest day in the next two days. Let's rest him a night, and then he can play versus, you know, uh, Sacramento, right? So eliminating that, I think, is, is going to be part of the conversation, but also just making it to where, you know, if you if, if you can change the schedule to where they're not on the back-to-back, and they've already made it to where you can't rest, you can't, rest guys on the national television games. If they're able to reinforce that, but then say like, look, we'll give you, you can announce ahead of time that you're going to rest this guy. Um, the teams are always going to want control and the players are going to want control to be like, I understand that my rest day was supposed to be Tuesday, but I don't feel good now. And it's Saturday. I need this night off. They're still going to control that, but just reducing it by normalizing these things, I think is one of the things that they can really um, stabilize and help with. The other only thing I can say is, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the league pursued more stoppages because that's more windows for the, uh, the numbers to be available, right. For these bedded windows to be open. I'm hopeful they won't do that because they do have an eye on the product and the quality of the product, but it is something to keep an eye on as they try and find more windows in order to plug opportunities to generate revenue, because this is such a huge moneymaker for the league and everyone in it. Uh, Matt, one more question for you before you let you go. Um, regarding the early part of the season, is there anything that you're observing now that could be a factor when we head into you know the playing game and the playoffs that you observe so far? I mean, a lot of it, you know, with early season games, there's a tendency to kind of jump to conclusions, but at the same time, there might be some things that you might have observed that you might account to being a factor in terms of, you know, winning MVP or, you know, who's going to be the top seeds of either East or Western conference. So are there any hints of what you've seen in early season games that might, you know, linger on and might show themselves, you know, when we get to playoff time? Yeah. I mean, I think you gotta keep an eye on Miami. Um, They look like a team that's got a real edge. Right. And I was, a little bearish on them. I'll say that. Like I wasn't entirely Me too. convinced. Yeah. Me too. They look they look pretty monstrous. Um, Bam is is looking like a DPOY candidate and Lowry looks like he's helping. Now I, I still have some reservations, but I think about the offense and 
you know, whether Tyler Hero is going to keep up this this pace, but he mm-hmm. does look really good. Um, you know, I've got a Hawks division ticket, so that's one that I'm a little bit nervous about. The Hawks have looked really good too. They dropped one to the Wizards tonight, but um, I do think that Miami probably might shake up things and they might be somebody I'm looking at for an Eastern Conference title bet. Really, the biggest takeaway I have is that there was this expectation over the summer that it was going to be a two-team league. There was going to be Nets uh, and Lakers, and that's it. And it's too early to like. It can evolve towards that if we get injuries or if the Nets get really hot and Kyrie makes certain decisions about his health and like various things happen. Like it can evolve towards that. But even then, I'll just tell you. I don't think the Nets have enough front court defense to be considered a juggernaut. I don't think the Lakers have enough half court offense or enough stable defenders um, to be considered this juggernaut. I think both teams are beatable. They're both great. I don't take issue with the fact that they're at the top of the title favorites and conference favorites in each of their respective conferences. Um, you can't overreact to this you know, four game sample and move the line yet. But I have enough concerns to say, like, I don't think that they're unbeatable. I don't think that they're just going to roll. I think that you have really good teams in both conferences that can match up. And it's going to be determined by seeding, by opportunity, and by luck. The window is open. We have a good level of parity. Um, that may still result in a Nets-Lakers finals, but that won't be because they were unchallenged. So that's something that I'll be keeping an eye on over the next couple of months is what are the opportunities to get long-term bets in on teams that are still underrated by the market because bookmakers are still operating off of preseason priors, which said Nets and Lakers, and that's it. That's still what the numbers say. Once we get into the season and you can see who's really separated themselves, that's where I think the value starts to come into play. Well, Matt, we really enjoyed this chat. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media and then um, anything else you want our audience to know about as well for the rest of the year? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at HP Basketball. You can check out my work at the Action Network. Download the Action Network app if you're interested in betting. You can find out all, all sorts of stuff about it. Plus, you get all the analysis that we've got. We track where the money's coming in, how the lines have moved. You can compare books to see what the best price is on them. That's a big part of getting the best value for your bets. All sorts of great stuff. Just check it out at the Action Network app uh, on your mobile device. I'm the host of the Buckets Podcast, which is a weekly NBA uh, betting podcast. We do uh, workshop Wednesdays where we go across the slate and give best bets. Check that out uh, wherever you get podcasts. It's the Buckets podcast. Awesome, man. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.